Welcome back, listeners. It has been a long but fabulous summer. We hope you've been enjoying our Patreon releases. It's not too late to sign up for those. So if you want to get six awesome exclusive resources by Claire, Hannah, and myself, please be sure to check out the link in the show notes to join our Patreon. Today, we're joining Standard Vision and Caroline Hayden to talk a little bit about all the amazing work that they do in media and dance and film and some of the collaborations with Dance Cinema over the years. So Caroline, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Standard Vision is a Los Angeles-based architectural lighting design studio and digital media company offering turnkey solutions for iconic media architecture at any scale. So that's my little spiel snippet from the website. But I think that is just scratching the surface of all the expansive and amazing projects that Standard Vision does. So Caroline, as someone that's on the inside, as someone that's doing the work, can you share about what is the scope of what Standard Vision does? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you are correct in that that is that's a great you know sum, summary of what we do, but it is just scratching the surface. We are involved in a lot of different um, aspects of media, design, architecture, technology, and art. So essentially, we are a multidisciplinary studio that operates at the intersection of architecture, art, and technology. We operate an, across a different, you know, a bunch of different verticals. So uh, they all kind of relate to large-scale digital activations in the public sphere. Our team is really unique in that everybody on the team has a creative background. Uh, we all come from different creative you know, backgrounds. We have everyone from architects, uh, visual designers, graphic designers, software engineers, um, technologists, and then you know, a lot of us on the creative team, myself included, uh, we all have our own arts practice. Uh, so my background is dance and, and dance film specifically. Uh, so again, really great pleasure to be here. Um, but essentially, you know, we're kind of coming at all of our projects from these multiple different perspectives. And the mission behind everything is activating public space and transforming locations into landmark or iconic destinations. Um, and, you know, that could look like anything from, you know, a lobby wall, uh, like a video wall inside of a lobby, a corporate lobby, or it could be a digital billboard in the heart of downtown Los Angeles, uh, all the way up to permanent experiential and immersive digital art installations. Um, so I guess, you know, the through line for everything that we do is art. Art is at the center of our narrative um, and infusing space with art drives every project that we have. I love that so much. And I've seen in person at various screens just how you are able to beautify spaces, but also make opportunities um, for really amazing artwork that deserves to be seen on a screen other than a phone or a laptop or a tablet. Um, I can personally say with Dance Cinema, I've really appreciated being able to offer this as an award also something that I don't pick myself. It's something that you all, uh, specifically yourself and Mark and Cinzy pick and find, you know, something because sometimes a film might translate really well to one platform or one screen better than another. So seeing those projects that an outside eye that hasn't looked at all the submissions that have come in, you're just looking at our, our tight curated shortlist and saying, okay, so from these films, which ones are going to look amazing on a six-foot story screen outside and really catch those pedestrian eyes? And it's just such an amazing opportunity to be able to extend to them as well. Because so often, 
especially now, there's just so much work being created. Things come and go so quickly. And to be able to be on the curation and production side of that, I see the value, but also as just a person out in the world, like seeing something that's not just an advertisement, but something that is just beautiful or inspiring or visually fascinating that makes you stop in your tracks. I think there's so much value to that in today's world. So I love everything Standard Vision's doing and I just think that the world's a better place with all those projects. <laughs> well, thank you. Something else I really appreciate is Standard Vision Studios and all the opportunities that you have there to support filmmakers to create amazing work. So, you know, in one branch, we've got Standard Vision that exists out in the world uh, with all these amazing public screens and installations. And in another sort of sphere, we have Standard Vision Studios where some of that great work can be made. So tell us about Standard Vision Studios. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Standard Vision Studios, we, we call it SV Studios these days. Um, it is a 10,000 square foot uh, virtual production flex space is what we're calling it. So essentially, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure for those of you aren't, who aren't familiar with virtual production, um, of course, it's, it's sort of the next most advanced uh, technology being used in the film industry. Um, you, I mean, the Mandalorian is the most like recognizable example of virtual production and, and XR, which is extended reality. Uh, so essentially it is taking LED technology and leveraging it to make filmmaking easier. Um, you know, you can be, for instance, at our studio with our LED stage, you can be in four different locations in the same day without ever leaving our studio because of location replacement techniques. Um, so essentially, uh, SV Studios developed um, and became what it is now because of the pandemic um, and because, you know, it, it became difficult for filmmakers to travel, you know, shoot on location. Uh, there was, you know, a limit to how many people could be on the shoot. So we leveraged our LED expertise and, you know, our background in creating this kind of unique custom technology to build our own uh, LED stage. Um, so everything that is in SV Studios is our own product, our own LED product, which is pretty cool. Um, and we've actually refined it. We just updated that technology to a specific um, tile that we made for virtual production. So um, essentially, you know, at the heart of SV Studios mission is making that technique available more widely, you know, more, more accessible uh, to filmmakers because, you know, I mean, it can get quite expensive to shoot on LED stages. And there are a lot of huge, amazing, impressive spaces, but, you know, we really, our team is made up of a lot of people from the film industry and, you know, our goal was like, how do we get our indie filmmakers in here and, and give them the opportunity to work with this technology and experiment and, and conceptualize and maybe, you know, even innovate uh, different uses for it. So our space is, we call it a flex space because it is modular. So we have, you know, many different uh, LED panels and, and stages that we can put together to create, you know, a huge, massive, you know, built out like cream of the crop stage, but you can also, uh, you know, just break it down and use one, one rolling screen or, you know, it, it, you can simplify it a bit. So again, like it's, we're approaching it from the perspective of solving a problem, providing a solution, and always from the background of supporting, you know, artists and being able to make this kind of technology more accessible. Something else that's been really exciting to see in the last year is uh, people are, wanting to come in and do live events and performance in the space. 
So that's been really cool. And again, with my background in the dance world, I've been loving seeing people come in and do like an immersive show or an experiential brand pop-up kind of thing in that space. Um, it really is conducive to that. And I'll actually just like quickly shout out, I worked with a colleague of mine, uh, Catherine Helen Fisher, who is an insanely amazing- I was just gonna say. Yep. Yes. <laughs> She's an amazing, <laughs> amazing choreographer, director. Uh, and she and I collaborated on an event uh, at the end of 2022 called Future Stages, which we, uh, we did that at SV Studios. So it was a curated selection of like 10 uh, dance pieces that were all interactive with technology. So we used emergent technology to create these interactive interfaces. And um, it was really cool because, you know, at the end of that, it culminated into an opportunity for the audience to come in and actually, you know, interact with the technology. And I mean, basically just became a gigantic dance party, which was awesome to see. And, you know, it's just, it's a really exciting thing for me to, to witness the ways that technology can mediate our shared experience. And how it can actually bring people together, you know, approaching it from a more joyous, um, connected and, and communal type of perspective that, you know, technology has that power. And so again, it's, it's a really special space, SV Studios, um, and I'm really grateful that we have it, you know, both to offer to, um, you know, filmmakers and, and people in the industry, but also to use it as like an R&D space for that type of project. Thank you so much for shouting out future stages as well, because I, as we were talking before this call, I follow the Standard Vision newsletter and social. I'm always excited to see what's new and coming out. And I also uh, follow Catherine Helen Fisher's work. And I remember seeing like, wow, what is this amazing collaboration? Things can sometimes feel a little bit saturated in the world. And it's always nice to see something that's truly cutting edge. And I really respect how Standard Vision has this pun intended, dance between highbrow and cutting edge technology and being at the forefront of what is really high production value, but also being accessible and having an indie heart. And I think that's really reflected in the team. And it's so awesome that you're on board too, as a, as a dancer, because we just have different sensibilities. And I really believe that when it comes to technology, having people that are physically engaged and aware of their bodies and movement and still very visual creatures is completely invaluable. So that's really awesome that you're able to get involved in so many different aspects of the production there. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and exactly what you said, I, I think, you know, the, the heart of that project, even the heart of future stages was this question of how do we, um, you know, bring the human body into this conversation? Like, what is it like for the human body to be in conversation with technology and with digital interfaces? And how does that translate, you know, what's being, what's, what's happening on a, on a screen maybe, and how do you bring it into the physical space? And um, so, I mean, really, that's why it was so special to see at the end of that event that people just came into the space and started dancing around. You're like, that's that's it. You know, we're all craving these experiences, really. It's shared experience that I think drives everything. And and again, that, that's very much at the heart of all of the projects that Standard Vision does. But it, like you said, it's just such a cool thing to see from so many different aspects and for it to be fulfilling personally as a dancer and mover. <laughs> it's so satisfying to stand back and be like, they like it. They really like it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And we're doing something unique, you know, to be able to contribute something new to the field and expand people's experience of technology, their experience of dance. And I think that that is what is really necessary to push things forward, of course, is seeing that these new avenues are possible, but also making it accessible and saying, hey, you can come shoot your project here. You can come collaborate with us on this cool thing. Yeah, yeah. It's very special. Again, I, I feel super, super lucky every day. <laughs> 
What's been one of your favorite, I mean, aside from future stations, because obviously that's, that's a darling. Uh, what's something else that you've loved about working at Standard Vision or something that you've learned where you've been like, wow, I am so grateful that I do this? Well, I mean, I, I think to speak a bit to something you mentioned earlier, uh, especially about being able to curate uh, showcases, you know, for dance cinema and, and putting dance films up in, in the public sphere, it, it's been such a, a joyous thing for me to provide these types of opportunities for um, for other artists that I, you know, I'm both inspired by or look up to or, you know, up and coming emerging artists who, again, maybe don't have that that type of opportunity available. Um, and to see, you know, to see it, to put their work up is amazing, but to put it up at that scale and in such a public space is also just like a really gratifying experience. So I think what's been really interesting for me is the curatorial process for something like that. For instance, you know, it's, it's a very different thing when you have to, you know, you have to consider a lot of different uh, elements because these platforms are in the public space. There's people walking around, there's cars driving, you know, you can't do certain things because it's distracting to the drivers and the city of LA will hate us, you know? <laughs> um, but it's, it's also about how do you, you know, keep infusing this particular platform as a cultural landmark, make, you know, making it stand out um, in, a, in a crowded marketplace of digital billboards that are just nothing but ads. Um, you know, how do we curate content that it, it does stop you? It does, it does immediately have an effect uh, in the public space. And I think it's a very non-traditional, that particular platform that we uh, curated the showcase for Dance Cinema on is, you know, it's a unique shape and it's integrated very interestingly with the architecture of the building. Uh, so, you know, it's already operating in a, in a more like iconic and, and interesting way, but being able to put work up there that absolutely just, it feels site specific, feels like it belongs there. Um, that's been a really interesting learning curve for me, for sure. Uh, Cause you know, I, I have my own aesthetic preferences and, and especially with dance film, you know, things I'm drawn to, it's, it's a very different, you know, you have to consider like, I, I personally may love this piece, but it doesn't totally translate for this large, large scale or, you know, seeing something that's like, that is exactly what we need. Um, again, I, I'm so appreciative of you all for the opportunity to, to put that work up and to be able to review all these amazing things that people are making in, in the dance film world these days. So Overall, I've said a lot of things. I've gone a lot of ways in this in my answer to your question. But, uh, you know, the overall thing that's been so amazing is to be exposed to artists with many different backgrounds and, and working in different mediums and to be inspired daily by something and someone new. Uh, and the opportunity to bring that work into the public space is just such an amazing thing. I'm so fortunate to do it. I love that. And I'm so appreciative that you have your unique dancer perspective and sensibility to bring in as well, because it really means that you have an eye for certain aspects. It's good to consider the general public and to consider what uh, we've called on Frameform before, quote unquote, an outside eye. Uh, it's good to consider what others might see work as. But when it comes to curation, I think there's real value in having someone that exists at those intersections that has that level of expertise, but also that level of love for the art form because you've also seen a lot. So by seeing a lot, you know when something's unique or stands out. One of the films, we're, we're not gonna be speaking to the filmmaker on this episode today, unfortunately, but one of the films you selected last year was A Body Is. And I had never seen flamenco presented with such an edgy display. And like, I don't think it's common to see flamenco on the streets of Los Angeles, maybe more so than <laughs> other cities. <laughs> 
But to be able to extend that opportunity to a, a, a team that is working so hard all the way in Spain and say, hey, your film's being shown in Los Angeles. Like, that's just the coolest thing ever. So I, I love the curational aspect of my work the most as well because I think you really put the ego aside and it does alleviate a lot of stress. For me, it's easier to produce an awesome festival than to produce a film that's as amazing as a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing. So I just love being able to pull together so many great works and be their biggest cheerleader and just have my job be getting it out to the world. So thank you to you and thank you to Standard Vision for expanding that audience. Um, For so many years now, we've done the showcase a few times and uh, I've still one of my favorite highlights ever Uh, aside from the general collaboration, is I think about three or four years ago, we did a party at Hotel Figueroa across the street, and you get the best view of the screen. And I just remember thinking, is this real life? Like, this is amazing. We just have this catered party, and, the the, you know, it's L.A., so you get a lot of people coming out that are involved in the community. You can't necessarily accomplish that everywhere. There's something about certain cultural hubs where people are looking to go out and connect and do those things. And it was just such an energizing and inspiring event to really celebrate the opportunity in a way that was like beyond just seeing the screen. I mean, seeing the screen is great, but being able to talk about it and see it mixed in with other works that were curated uh, was just fabulous. So I've really appreciated the journey over the years and I hope we can continue to highlight great films and extend this opportunity to filmmakers because it really is unique and I think what Standard Vision is doing is unlike any other production company that I that I know of at least and I'm just so glad you guys are local enough that I can still go and check it out sometimes. Totally yeah 100% also I remember that party at Hotel Figueroa too and it was amazing you know it's the best view and yeah it's so cool and you know i think there's something to to say about the way that that platform brings out audiences like that because it is known as a platform where you can go and witness art uh people know it it's a recognizable space which of course makes us feel really good that you know it's become recognizable because of those types of events and it is beyond just some billboard with advertising it's actually you know a, a destination for art and that's the most exciting part is those shared experiences, being in the space and seeing the work up there and just being like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> well, we are going to talk to Nina McNeely uh, later in today's episode to kind of get her perspective on having her film screen last year and be part of this. But before we do that, uh, can you tell us about Standard Vision's latest initiative, the Dream Outdoor Initiative? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like this was a, a natural segue into Dream Outdoor, talking about Uh, digital advertising and digital billboards. Um, So essentially, Dream Outdoor um, is our strategic partner in the world of digital out-of-home advertising. D-O-O-H is is what it is also referred to as. Uh, But essentially, they represent the future of digital out-of-home and experiential marketing to us. Uh, So for years, most of Standard Vision's platforms have had some component of advertising uh, on on our screens. And everything has always been focused on the art, but advertising was slowly integrated into some of the public spaces. So for instance, the SVLA1 screen where we do the dance cinema showcases, that is an advertising platform as well. What we pride ourselves on is having the most iconic and highest grossing digital media assets in all of Los Angeles. And uh, now that we have Dream Outdoor, who is our strategic partner, they are 
uh, comprised of a team of just like top dogs in the digital out of home advertising world. They're extremely talented at what they do. They know what's coming next. So they're a really great partner to have now with us. But essentially with, with them on board, we're, we're enabled to take a leap into the future of what brand activations look like, uh, into the future of you know digital out of home advertising, experiential marketing. Essentially our, our role in everything that Dream Outdoor does is uh, it comes from our creative expertise and also our knowledge of how to artfully integrate um, digital displays into buildings. So again, they become something more than just a billboard. They become an iconic destination for something. I think that what's great about Dream Outdoor is they see the direction that things are moving. You know, and if I go back and, and talk about you know, our experience doing future stages, you know, we wanted to see is like, how do you bring this beyond just something on a screen? How can we actually make this an activated space where people can remember that they came and they experienced something here? Um, so Dream Outdoor understands that that's kind of where brands and media buyers are going. They understand the value now in creating experiences beyond just the products that they're selling. So, I mean, something really exciting that's coming in with the Dream Outdoor team uh, is actually another digital platform that they represent for all of the advertising, which is a platform in Times Square. So it's really exciting for us because it's our first platform in New York City. It's a huge you know, LED billboard, but the added bonus is that inside of the LED billboard, there's a hidden performance stage. Of course there is. Of course Duh. there is. <laughs> the most Times Square thing you could absolutely imagine. <laughs> but it's such an exciting opportunity for us. We see that brands are already like looking towards that. They're like, oh, performance or having a human body up there. You know, like Post Malone was the one who inaugurated the space. He just did like a surprise concert on it. And to see people's reactions, you're like, that's what people are craving. Everyone's craving these shared memorable experiences in the same space in a communal area. So again, I think it's just really exciting for us because now we, we feel like we have a strategic partner who is really on board with these innovative arts driven uh, ways of activating public space and it's beneficial across the board you know, mutually beneficial for the brands who again are understanding that this is an important part of what they do now is is creating these spaces for for people to come and, and witness and experience something but then of course you know on on the creative side we're selfishly just so excited about the opportunity to create content for them or to collaborate with the brand or or if the brand wants to commission an artist to you know help that artist translate their work to a digital platform. So yeah, it's a very exciting time. I think there's a lot more to come. You know, we just announced that launch uh, like last week. So it, it's all been a whirlwind, but we're very, very excited about what's to come. And it feels just like a really natural partnership and alliance. So I'm super grateful to be to be part of all of that too. That's awesome. New York's a little, e a lot easier for me to get to than LA. So I cannot wait to go check that out in person and maybe even see some dance Post Malone would be really cool too. Uh, but seeing some dance would be amazing as well. Yes. Unfortunately, we have to wrap up, but thank you so much for your time today and sharing about all the awesome stuff that you're doing with Standard Vision. This is the part where I give out all my gratitude. So first of all, I want to say thank you and shout out to Lex Roman, who's one of the original co-founders of LA Dance Home Festival. She is the reason for this collaboration and how I got started here with Standard Vision. And LA Dance Home Festival was the original dance home festival to partner with Standard Vision. So credit where credit's due. 
Also, thank you to Mark Escribano, Cinziana Velichescu, and you, Caroline, for the time today to talk about all this and all that you do to support the creation and sharing of quality media, particularly, you know, where my heart is, dance and cinema. So next up, we'll be hearing from one of our recipients of the Standard Vision Artistic Achievement Award. And before we do that, where can we get more Standard Vision? How do we follow all the exciting stuff that's happening? All of our websites, um, we have standardvision.com, svstudiosla.com for the studio, uh, and then dreamoutdoor.com that just launched last week as well. And we are on all of the social platforms. So, uh, you know, Instagram, you can find our Instagram on all of our websites as well. Um, But yeah, and again, thank you so much for the opportunity. I I really appreciate being able to come and, and share more about what we do. And it's always for me personally satisfying because I am in the dance world. So it's it's a great it's been a great experience sharing more about this. And I really, uh, really enjoy being able to work with you all collaborating on on curation and showcasing these amazing films. Awesome. Thank you so much, Caroline. We'll talk soon. Welcome to part two of today's episode where we're speaking with the one and only Nina McNeely. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being on the show. Welcome to Frameform. So as we talked about earlier in the episode, there's a bit of a dance cinema connection here and we've screened a few of your works, one of which was selected for a Standard Vision Award. So I just want to, I've said this in email, but I want to publicly say it and say it here. I really appreciate how you have submitted a variety of works and they're not all just for theatrical screenings. I've really loved that I've been able to show such high quality as far as the production value, but also the artistry and include that in our online program. Because I think, you know, as I launched the online program, I thought, oh my gosh, people are going to think this is for stuff that's, you know, not up to par with the theatrical screenings. And that's really not the case. So I just love that you actually create work for those platforms in addition to all the other stuff you do that, you know, maybe you need an HBO subscription or you need to watch it on the artist page. Uh, It's just such a good variety. So I appreciate that a lot. Thank you. So three of the works that we have screened over the years or include in our program were Once There Was Three, She Dreamt Alone, and John L. Black Midi, which is the one we're going to dive a little more into today. So... John L. was selected for Standard Vision, which means that we showed it outdoor on a massive screen for passersby to be like, what, is that a dancing baby? Like, what's happening right now? And just stop them in their tracks. Um, And I know that you said having haters is healthy, but this is not the episode for that. So sorry, not sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So can you share a little bit before we get into specific projects? How did you get started in dance and cinema and... What kind of goes into, what's the DNA of this badass creative person that's on the other line here? Well, I, I was just thinking about like when was my very first film. And I think it was like mm, 2004 was the first time I really tried to shoot something. And um, I had a boyfriend at the time that was in film school. And so we were able to like borrow a bunch of equipment and think we just used like a friend's house that I was uh close with at the time and I had one dancer um Jessica Keller uh, an amazing ballerina and dancer and um I 
I was obsessed with this Aphex Twin song. So I decided to make this whole piece that was definitely like showed my age because it had way too many ideas going on. But I do think that that was like my first time um, editing as well. I had taught myself uh, Final Cut Pro and got really into, you know, one of my biggest um, uh, people that inspires me is Chris Cunningham and definitely like at that time as well who had done, you know, all of Aphex Twins videos. So I really got into like editing to every single little beat in the track and, you know, I think she had like one point chew on. We did something where we like filled a bathtub with all of these, like it looked like her diary entries and there was mascara running down. There was lots of things going on, but that was definitely like my first try. So very similar to choreography. It's something that I've always been interested in and have always been, you know, playing with and experimenting with ever since I moved to LA when I was 18 in 2001, straight out of high school. So um, yeah, and from then, you know, I wasn't always making films. There was definitely time in between because I was just figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do with my career. But even today, I feel like, you know, even if I'm working and my career is really growing and I'm gaining more success as a dancer back then or as a choreographer, now, like I always have to have some sort of art project happening on the side that I feel like is me being with me having complete freedom to like make what I want. And I feel like that helps like keep me grounded and helps me keep like a critical eye on my own work and knowing that I'm personally pushing myself and not getting distracted by other successes, if that makes sense. So yeah, I've always been I've always been into dance and film and just like what how can I use film to go beyond what I could create for a stage. Yeah, I think that really speaks to your unique qualities as a creator where you don't just have one lane and you're not even trying to and you know, sometimes we have to start a little messy or we have to be self-taught, but that's the only way that we get better sometimes and I really respect that you actually work on your projects on so many different layers like even I didn't realize that John I mean maybe I should have but John L was like a collage and you did the animation and the composition there and that's part of what makes it so visually striking so I just really have a lot of respect for that and even you talking about your first project kind of hints at the fact that you have all these influences and you just really have a an authentic artist's heart and an impulse to create and that really shines through your work because while you might have references or influences, nothing you do ever seems derivative, even if it's like familiar. I'm like, did I see this in a fever dream at some point? Like it always looks fresh, yet so steeped in what has maybe come before. And I mean that in a good way. What are some of the influences maybe from classical art or from pop culture that have infused into your work over the years? I mean, I think what's interesting to get to that is that like when I first started creating, even as a choreographer, I was, I was like hyper-focused on being original and not creating anything that I'd seen before. Um, but then I got to a place where I kind of realized that like 
my unique recipe of influences is not going to be like anybody else's, you know, just because of my life, my teachers, you know, growing up watching MTV, like whatever the combination is, or growing up, you know, going to Catholic mass every Sunday, like my combination is going to be its own thing. And I feel like as soon as I started like letting that in to my work, that was the beginning of people recognizing that I had an aesthetic, which is interesting because I felt like I was kind of doing the opposite of what I set out to do, you know, but that originality came from letting my influences in for sure. So I definitely like grew up watching a lot of music videos and a lot of MTV and because I have lots of, I'm the oldest in my family, but I have lots of tons of cousins and older cousins and I would, you know, I always wanted to hang out with the cool cousins and, you know, watch Tool music videos or whatever they were into in the 90s. But I do think that that really like shaped, you know, what I was interested in because I've always been interested in like the darker things and like darker works and, um, and, and beautiful things at the same time. So I think, you know, that, that interest started pretty young. Um, but I think I'm, I definitely am super drawn to, um, I think that something happened to my brain being exposed to all of the like beautiful art at growing up, going to mass at a Catholic church and being surrounded by these like crying statues and all of this grandeur and ornate detail and, you know, you kind of never get bored because there's so much to look at and so much emotion in it also. And even though I wasn't like into being religious, I was definitely like a rebellious kid. I do think that once I started letting that influence in and kind of admitting that I was pretty enthralled with it still and intrigued by it still, that um, that started to really shape my aesthetic, even from like the poses that statues are in and things. I think I have like a statue obsession for sure. Um, And then from pop culture, yeah, I guess I've just been into like all forms of music from pop and rock and hip hop and everything. I was super obsessed, even to a level of like an unhealthy level with Michael Jackson as a kid where my parents would punish me by taking away my Moonwalker VHS tape. (laughs) That was how I would get in trouble and I would cry in my room. But my mom said that she thought it was a little unhealthy that I was always crying when I was watching it because clearly I was clearly I was obsessed. I thought they were worried about you moving backwards or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, they just thought it was weird that I was always watching him and crying. Um, But uh, I think, you know, I trained so much as like I was really into ballet when I was younger and then I really was uh, into contemporary. And then when I started choreographing, I kind of felt like I was holding back that like Michael Jackson influence that was such a part of me and I started letting that in and I feel like that kind of crafted this mix of like something classical and something pop and something uh street dance related also and um I mean he's so heavily influenced by Fosse which is a big influence of mine as well um so yeah, I just think it's a bizarre little combination of influences and I'm I kind of 
have gotten to a place where I try and like trust my instincts as much as possible when I need to come up with an idea where before I would question it and be like, why are you thinking of that strange reference? And now, now I just let it in and I, I think that it works. It's hard to trust sometimes, but I, I think that's like the main thing I'm trying to get better at is like trusting all of my instincts as they come. Well, I'm sure some of that confidence comes with success. You try the weird instinct and then you're like, oh shit, that actually really worked. And it also felt really good and it felt uniquely me. There's such thing as like a Nina McNeely work. And it is such a beautiful fusion of these mainstream but subversive, maybe countercultural influences that I think make it seem epic just when you watch it but it's not um it's not hollow there's definitely depth and there's layers and it is a unique combination I've really enjoyed every time I see your name pop up in film freeway I'm like oh gosh like what is it now like buckle up I know this is going to be really good and there's consistency in your oeuvre in your works but it's never the same thing which you know again can be a risk people take uh, by not taking enough risks, you know, if they kind of get a formula down and they're like, oh, yeah, I just do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Like, I know people will love it. Boom. Part of what I really have, have noticed and I appreciate as well is that you don't stick with the same kind of project either. How did you find your way into, well, maybe I want to be the person behind the camera or the person choreographing not just the movement that we see on screen, but also choreographing through editing. Like, how did you find your way into feeling comfortable and confident in wearing all those different hats? I mean, I do think it's kind of born from getting bored easily, for sure. And I have, like, such a thirst for, like, learning. And I feel pretty stagnant if I'm not learning something or, like, increasing my skill set in some realm um which now as I've gotten older like I've I've learned to like you know maybe I should increase my skill set in like taking care of myself and getting some sleep and things like that which it has really helped to get like more grounded and and actually my work I feel like has flourished from paying attention to that instead of just being like a night owl workaholic which is kind of where a lot of it was born, but now it's starting to calm down, but it's not affecting my work, which is great. When you think about when you started in LA and when you moved and you're like, you probably moved to LA thinking, I want to be a dancer because that was like the noun that you used. Right? Mm -hmm. And what was that transformation like from, I want to be the dancer, the person on camera or the person on stage to, I actually would prefer to be making the decisions about this. And what did that transition sort of look like? I mean, I think that, you know, I was so passionate about dance and I wanted to work, but I also like wanted to be on a dance company and wanted to like, you know, do dance artistically as well as commercially. And I definitely got like discouraged when I first came to LA, which I think a lot of dancers, if they're, you know, seen as really good in their hometown and then they come to LA where it's like so huge and you know, there's so many of us and everybody is probably one of the best from their town. And, and now we're all together. And, you know, things were really different back then where like, it was so much more like typecast and like, you had to kind of fit this more like all American look and like, everyone wanted you to have a headshot and like a white t-shirt and jeans. And like, it was totally different. Um, 
And I just kind of realized that I didn't fit that mold. It was interesting. I, I feel like I, I wasn't like weird enough where I was like, you know, looked like I just came from Burning Man and had like a colored mohawk and tattoos, but I wasn't um, straight laced looking enough or like commercial looking enough. So I kind of was in this like in between place. Um, so I think that I definitely, and I see this with a lot of young dancers too, where they're like, well, I don't want to be a sellout. I don't want to just do like commercial stuff it sucks and it's the people are whack and like I that's not my vibe you know and I definitely felt that way too and took some years where I was like I am not going to even really audition I'm just gonna I want to be a choreographer I'm going to choreograph and so I did do that for a little bit and then had the realization of like well I am really good at something where I could make good money doing it so maybe I should just like get over that and there's no rule saying you can't do both so I focused on that and then realized like how much more comfortable my life became because I was letting myself do some more commercial things. Um, but that, that wasn't for that long as a dancer. I think I always had the hunger to like choreograph. I was always doing it at like whatever, you know, I encourage any young choreographers like submit to everything that you can, like whatever free group show that happens every month, like, even if there's not that many people there, like whatever it's, you need like a platform to experiment on. And I used to choreograph a lot, like in the clubs and more underground scene. And I'm really grateful that I was able to do that before social media was a thing because you had to be there to see it. And if we, if I tried something that was real wild and I wasn't sure if it was going to work or not, and then it totally failed, it wasn't as embarrassing because there was like, 20 people there or something you know what I mean so totally I think that was nice and your whole process wasn't expected to be published as well no. do you think that it's more difficult now because the other thing is this, this all-american look or being the ironically edgy cookie cutter <laughs> type where yes it's like, oh yeah that's what edgy looks like mm-hmm. it is almost there's so much variety now but do you think that that almost makes it even more challenging and more difficult for those newbies to process like oh my gosh what do I even do how do I even try and stand out yeah and I think that that is going to be confusing for anyone in their 20s but I I think my advice would be is like just continue to look for like what you're interested in and like what inspires you and it doesn't matter if it's not cool right now it doesn't matter if it's something like old and traditional that everyone else thinks is boring like just let yourself, you know, be interested in what you're interested in and stay true to yourself, even if that's confusing at that time, like trust your gut and trust your heart and just keep going. And like, eventually the world will kind of catch up to whatever that is. And I think I've seen so many people like my own mentors and stuff that like, like Ryan Huffington, for instance, was like, you know, he's just considered really out there for so long and like not commercial and not, you know, he's doing all of these experimental things all the time and making costumes and like, you know, had his hands in a lot of things. And then one day, like the world caught up, you know, and then he found like so much great success. So I think having people like that as an example too has been inspiring for me that if I just like stick to what I know I'm interested in and where I know I can grow that 
it'll catch up one day and then I and that I don't have to like bend or sacrifice too much I mean I also like if I'm choreographing something really commercial I'm not doing my most like avant-garde experimental thing but now I sort of look at it as like I am a good nurturer so I think of like nurturing someone else's vision you know which you are as a choreographer a lot of the time when you're working commercially or working with artists or whatever you're nurturing someone else's baby and it's like you know you would take good care of your friend's baby (laughs) you know hopefully or at least you'd try to (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and I feel like I'm able to like separate myself from that and I I like working on a team and everybody's supporting something to make it as good as it possibly can be so I feel like there's ways to like separate yourself artist not artistically but maybe personally from work so that you don't feel like people don't understand you or you they don't understand what they could have with you if they let you do what you really wanted you know there's like a time and a place for that that's why I always try and do my own projects as much as possible I think that's definitely the key is to not have everything riding on one realm of your life or one project because then there is that unnecessary pressure and it's like sorry you're doing a music video for Rihanna or The Weeknd like this isn't just about what you specifically want to do but the great thing is if you go do that gig you do the best you can to nurture that vision and nurture that baby then hey you get a decent paycheck to go make the thing you want to make exactly and I think having my hands in so many different things with like animating and editing and filmmaking like Sometimes there's dry spells in the industry, like with choreography or like what we're going through right now with the strike, like, and it's good to have other ways, avenues of making money also, you know, so I think that that's been good for me and then I don't go stir crazy, you know. So what got you into animation and projection mapping? Because the first project of yours I ever saw was Once There Was Three, and I'm glad I saw it as the video you submitted first and then I saw the TED talk though I do think it was really cool that there are both of those formats that people can watch thanks well actually my first projection mapping project was on uh Dina Thompson she had like broken her foot taking my class and I felt so horrible and she was like you know she couldn't really even walk I think she had crutches and so I had been playing around you know, from editing, it kind of grew into like, actually, the first time I ever made animations was with a band that I was in with Ryan Heffington called We Are the World. And I made like uh, stage visuals like for the screens for that. And then this thing with Dina happened. And uh, I used to choreograph at this club called Mustache Mondays for years. And I made a piece where I projected onto her face while she sat in a chair since she couldn't dance. And that was kind of the beginning of like projection mapping. And then I had a group called Wife with Jasmine Albuquerque and Kristen Leahy. And we did a lot of projection mapping projects, which was great because we got to experiment so much with um, the tools like how you can do it with the screen behind or you can do it with no with a black void behind and it just lands on the body and you know that gave me a lot of opportunity to like play um with those techniques and we were also able to kind of cross into like the art world a little bit where we were doing more performances at galleries here and there like at museums and stuff a little outside of the 
dance world, which was great. Um, and we stopped making work together and maybe it was like seven or eight years ago. And then it had been so long since I had like, uh, dabbled in it. I wanted to try it again when I got this commission with, uh, entity and, uh, yeah, so we tried it. It was crazy. I got COVID in the middle of it and I had all of those animations to make and I could only, I got the brain fog real bad and I could only focus for like maybe 20 to 30 minutes at a time. And then I would have to like take a walk or like do something. But just like the Black Midi video, because I was so crunched for time, I had to trust my instincts. I didn't have time to like question my choices. And that's when some really good stuff I think came out and I just had to go with it. So that's kind of like the dance was done before the animations were done. The animations came second. Um, but I always try and make sure that the dance is like strong on its own and could be performed just as a piece without the projections so that it just elevates it to the next level. But yeah, I'm definitely interested in doing more um, projection stuff. And there's some new technologies that have come out that are only for like huge level kind of projects right now. They're not really for home use with some tracking and stuff that I want to get into, but that'll always be something that's like close to my heart for sure. And my animation style, since I'm self-taught with like After Effects is also I think helped create an aesthetic for me that's a lot more like collage and, you know, I, I don't do 3D. I don't like hand animate a lot. It's more of collage of so many different stock footage and handmade things too, but all kind of combined together. But sometimes the media that you choose almost makes your viewers nostalgic for a certain time. Like the fact you grew up on music videos and now you're making music videos or those specific artists that influence you. Sometimes your audience is of that generation or they grew up watching the same stuff. So it kind of resonates with them in a way like it, it, even subconsciously, it just kind of is transmitted there. And definitely, I think that John L is such a great example of it looks I mean, the movement, you've got, like, some Charleston, you've got some, like, metropolis-type crazed jazz dance happening, but then also the look is so otherworldly, and then there's a baby, <laughs> which I'm mentioning for the second time, because, like, the first, I'll, I'll tell you, like, the first few times I watch a film and I screen it, um, like, to not screening in theaters, but screen it to see, like, are, are we going to select this, I will watch it on mute to make sure that, I like it's strong enough on its own. Audio matters, but I think you can tell a lot from that. And I'll also, I'll watch the whole thing, but I'll also jump to different points. And I think I was jumping through this one before I watched the whole thing. And I was like, the fuck was that? <laughs> but like in a good way. So I was like, okay, now I have to sit down and watch the whole thing. It wasn't a complete spoiler, but it was enough for me to be like, okay, I definitely want to see what else is going on here. So let's talk a bit more about John L because that's another collaboration you did with Entity. So you designed, directed, choreographed, you did the animation, the collage. What was it like collaborating with Entity on a project of this scale, which you also said was a bit of a time crunch as well? It was a time crunch and a budget crunch, but I knew that with the time crunch that I had and the intensity of the choreography that was required, um, that it was going to be better for me to use a company that 
already, you know, vibes off of each other, you know, is that the same like learning level and like speed of learning? Um, and that I knew I could just like get it clean and get a great performance level. And I had worked with them before, so I knew um, all of the dancers. And I just, I was able to trust, you know, that group. And like, there were so many moments that I was like, do you guys need a break or do you need water? And they were like, no, let's keep going. And I was like, hell yeah, this is amazing. Because if it was just like picking all different dancers, you know, that never worked together before, like you, you're going to get some people who get more exhausted earlier, or like some people that it's not their, you know, best style. And so they're struggling a little bit more or like they're great at freestyling and not as much at choreography or whatever. So I knew these dancers were going to kill it. So, and they did, like, they really brought it with the acting and everything too. Cause that for me, like dancers, I judge them based on their acting first, you know. I'm going to link to it in the show notes, but you also did an interview with Dana Wilson on Words That Move Me podcast. And I laughed out loud when you were saying like, okay, Raymond is one of my favorite dancers. He, I think if there were like a prize for people featured in the most dance cinema films ever, yes. like selections, it would probably be him because he's come up in so many different projects to the point where it's like, is that the same person? Yes, Raymond's incredible. I laughed out loud when you said, just bring that crazed Liza Minnelli energy. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, and they knew exactly what I was talking about. You know, it's like the perfect descriptor. (laughs) Yeah, and I love him. He's so versatile. He can do any style. He can make you laugh, make you cry. You know, make you question your existence. All of the things. You know. (laughs) Yeah, all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. So, what are some other references that, and like, I don't know if Metropolis is actually something that you wrote in the description or if that's something where I was like, well, it appears that way. Um, What are some other references that are kind of layered into this absurd and beautiful and hilarious music video slash work that is John L? I talked about it a little bit in my uh, interview with Dana, but. When I first got the song, I put in my headphones and I went on a hike and I was like, I'm just going to let this like flow into me and whatever ideas come up, I'm not going to question them because I had to write the treatment pretty fast as well. And I just kept thinking about that little Noid guy from the Domino's commercials from the 90s, like in his little red suit and how he moved kind of like in super speed and was, was a little crazed and chaotic. And that image just kept like popping into my mind. So I knew I needed to like, recreate that energy somehow and then also I did which I've never done before or since but I wrote like a whole prologue to the video um that I shared with the band and we decided together to like keep that a secret and that the video would start at the end of that story so that it would be like really open for interpretation and nobody really knows like the origin like of why these people are there and what is this thing that they're worshiping and why is there a baby inside and all of these different things. And then uh, Sweet Charity by Bob Fosse was of course another huge inspiration and I learned through doing um, researching that project that he was obsessed with Fellini at the time and I am also a huge Fellini fan And he said some quote about like, he only steals from the best, which I thought was great because everyone's like, Bob Fosse's so original, which of course he is, but he's also heavily influenced by another filmmaker. And I think that's what really gives 
the rich man's fruit scene in um, Sweet Charity, that look is because it is so choreographed for camera. It's not just right. choreographed for stage. And you can see that you can see the lighting and everything in the fashion is all elevated beyond like what you would see in a normal like dance performance or even on Broadway, to be honest, you know. I love that. And that's why decades later, we're still referring to the same, you know, 10 minute scene that happened in a movie that some people haven't even seen the whole movie, but just seeing excerpts from it, it's iconic. Thank you so much for sharing more about that. What's the latest and what's next with you? Um, well, that's always a hard question with all of the NDAs that I have to sign. <laughs> okay, what is out most recently that we could maybe plug? <laughs> Um, I recently directed the music video for Doja Cat called Paint the Town Red. So that's probably my most recent directorial. Um, I choreographed the Melanie Martinez tour that's going back on tour. They just finished their first round and they go back out in October. Um, I have another big project that I'm working on um, with one of my collaborators, Philippa Price, that I can't really tell you what it is, but it's going to be awesome. And yeah, those are kind of the ones right now. I just finished working on a film with Sofia Butella in Budapest that I got back from that I can't say too much about that either. But um, yeah, and just looking forward to like making some new projects and finding out what's my next muse, what's my next inspiration. Well, I'm sure it'll all be keeping with the trend of your badassery and creative virtuosity. So I'm excited to see what comes next down the pike and We'll put some link in the show notes to your website, to your social. Like I said, not being sarcastic, but go check out her TED Talk. (laughs) Thank you so much, Nina. It's been awesome having you on the show. And thank you for the unique position that you hold in this space. I think today's conversation was really inspiring and hopefully reassuring to people that they don't have to be just one thing. They can be their own uniquely weird and awesome combination. And that's really where the magic is. Of course, thank you so much. And I would just say to all the young creators out there that like, if you stick to what you believe in, like the world will catch up eventually. This is Frameform, hosted by Hannah Weber, Jen Ray, and Claire Schweitzer. Episode edited by the Frameform team with social media support from Maddie Leitner and music by Mason Carlton. Thanks for listening.